Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. This morning's scripture reading is Genesis 32, 3-7, and then 24-31. Genesis 32, 3. Uh, when I'm finished reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and you can say thanks be to God. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Verse 24. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his lip. This is the word of the Lord. Y'all going to have a seat? Good morning. How are we doing? Good. My name is Ben. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I'd love the opportunity to meet you before you leave today. Um, I am married to Tiffany, and we have five kids, uh, ages four to almost 16, um, which is just crazy. I can't get over that. Um, (laughs) So beware. Uh, He's about to be on his own on the road. Um, Hopefully you've had the chance to follow along with us as we've been working our way through Genesis and and most recently looking at the life of Jacob. And today uh, we're continuing to to dive into uh, what is the climax of Jacob's life as he wrestles with God all night long. Um, For those of you who maybe haven't been able to follow along or haven't been with us in this series, that's okay. Uh, You're not going to be lost I'll explain where we're at in the story. Um, But this is Jacob. This is Abraham's grandson, Isaac's son. And um, if you've been following along, you will remember that Jacob's life has been one story after another of him trying to reach out and take the blessing of God on his own terms. And we saw that as he tricked his brother into selling him the birthright. We saw that as he tricked his father into giving him the blessing that was intended for Esau. And we saw it as he schemed to gain wealth from his uncle Laban. And then we see some of the same thing uh, in this story as he wrestles with God in 
in this passage. So um, that's who it is that we're talking about. And, uh, and I want to jump right in, but let me pray one more time before we do that. Father, um, you know the hearts of every single person in this room, what it is that they have been uh, dealing with this, this week or month, even this morning, and what it is that's brought them here. And God, I ask in the mighty name of Jesus that you would speak to them, that you would work in hearts and lives today, that you would bring revelation in the ways that you work and in the kind of God that you are, that um, you would put language to things that we have experienced and that we could uh, understand you more. And, and, um, and I pray, Lord, for those who are seeking to know you, uh, that they would come to a saving knowledge of you today. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So, um, so where are we in the story? Jacob, uh, you'll remember, was uh, he, he stole his brother's blessing from his dad, and uh, big, big Esau said, I'm going to kill him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take his life. And so um, Jacob has been sent away from his father's house because uh, his brother Esau wanted to kill him, and he spent 20 years uh, working for his uncle Laban. He's been a part of Laban's household, and he married uh, Laban's daughters and had a bunch of kids, and he's grown wealthy. And now the Lord has told him back in Genesis 31, 3, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So he has some new marching orders, and he's following through on that. It's time for Jacob to step out from under Laban's uh, authority and to go back home and become the patriarch of his kinsmen uh, in the promised land. So he heads back. But there's a little problem, um, and that is his big brother Esau, right? Um, When Jacob left, he was fleeing for his life. His big, burly brother Esau had had made a promise, I'm going to kill him as soon as my father is dead. Um, and so the closer that he gets back to home, the, the more that fear is, is rising up in his heart. And he's imagining how this uh, reconnection is going to go. And he's afraid. He has no idea what's going to happen. Um, he wonders, you know, has Esau just been waiting for his opportunity for revenge? Is, is, is this his moment um, and is God going to protect me like he said he was going to protect me? Can I, can I trust him? Can, can I do this and survive? All of Jacob's life, he's thought that Esau was his problem. If it weren't for Esau, he'd never have had to take matters into his own hands to get the inheritance and the blessing that God had promised to him. If it weren't for Esau, he wouldn't have had to be sent away destitute and work for Laban for 20 years. Jacob has thought that since the day he was born, he was wrestling against Esau. But this night, he comes to realize it wasn't Esau he was wrestling with all this time. It was God. Maybe you think you've been wrestling against a parent or a spouse or a coworker or a boss or a situation that you're in. But it Could it be that a sovereign God is after you? 
Could it be that there is a God in control of all the circumstances of your life who's wanting to bless you, wanting to give you a closer relationship with him, but you've been trying to run your life your way, on your terms, and get the blessing your way? That's what happens to Jacob this night, is he realizes that it wasn't Esau, it was God that he's been wrestling with. It comes to a head on the most stressful night of Jacob's life. This wrestling match between God and Jacob is not just a story, it was real, and it was a life-transforming event in Jacob's life, after which he would never be the same. But it's also instructive to us. Uh, John Calvin comments on this passage, it is right to keep in view this design of the vision, which is to represent all the servants of God in this world as wrestlers. This is a story for us, and it can teach us about what it looks like to wrestle with God and come out better for it. So if you're a note taker, um, I'm going to have four points, and they're going to be on the screen, and um, they are, the first is this, wrestling with God must be personal. Wrestling with God must be personal. You'll notice in verse 24, and Jacob was left alone. He was left alone. This is important that God waits until Jacob is completely alone to come to him. Much of the Christian life can only be lived in community. We talk about that a lot here at New King Church. There's far too much individualism in American Christianity But what we're talking about today, this wrestling with God, is very personal and must take place between you and God. It doesn't mean that you won't be talking to others about it as it's going on. Uh, It doesn't mean that you're going to pull out of community and relationships, not at all. But what it does mean is that no one else can experience God for you. You can't have a real and experiential relationship with God vicariously through others. You're going to have to learn to encounter God yourself firsthand. There is too much individualism in our American Christianity, but you still must have an experiential relationship with God. It's the only way to truly know Him. Knowing God and knowing about God are not the same thing. A relationship with God must include personal interaction like the one that Jacob had that night. You might have grown up in a Christian family or married a strong believer, or you may have been involved in a solid church, and yet it's possible that you've never known God personally in spite of the fact that you have learned a great many things about God and about the Christian faith. A.W. Tozer writes in The Pursuit of Man, Is it not true that for most of us who call ourselves Christians, there is no real experience? We have substituted theological ideas for an arresting encounter. Whatever else it embraces, true Christian experience must always include a genuine encounter with God. Without this, religion is but a shadow, a reflection of reality, a cheap copy of an original once enjoyed by someone else. This is one of the most powerful truths that this passage teaches. We must all wrestle with God. 
We must all have firsthand dealings with the God of the universe. As important as it is to be a part of a believing community, it is not the same thing as having an actual relationship with God yourself. When Jacob encounters God, he is alone. Jacob's faith can no longer be a cheap copy of his father's or his grandfather's walk with God. It must be his. God is a real and personal being. And interactions with him are more than theological deductions based on reason. The Pharisees fell into the trap of um, dwindling it down to that. Now, don't get me wrong, studying theology matters very much. It matters very much what you learn. It matters very much that you study and learn the Bible. Um, But, as theologian J.I. Packer says, interest in theology and knowledge about God and the capacity to think clearly and talk well on Christian themes is not at all the same thing as knowing We may know as much about God as Calvin knew, and yet at the same time, we may hardly know God at all. So how do we go from from here to here? How do we go from uh, merely a, a, a theological deduction based on reason? How do we get from just a head knowledge to a real experience? And um, I think that what Packer suggests in knowing God makes a lot of sense. He says, It's not by tossing theology and Bible study out the window. He says, the key is to use your theology and your time in the Bible to interact with God one-to-one. Don't just read your Bible, read your Bible with Him, before Him, in conversation with Him, asking Him questions, thanking Him for things, making prayer requests to Him, allowing Him to change your mind on things, submitting to His Word and everything that He shows you in it, obeying what you read in dependence upon Him, and then you will truly know God. What does all that mean? Well, among other things, it means you're going to have to give Him your time. I've never heard a testimony of anyone saying, I sat down and had a five-minute devotional and my life was changed. And this wrestling with God... Um, takes all night for Jacob. You're going to have to give him your time. You're going to have to turn off the TV for an evening. You're going to have to get up a little earlier and open your Bible. You're going to have to sit before him if you want to know him. It's going to take time. There are no shortcuts to building a real one-to-one relationship with God. If you want more of him, if you want a closer walk with him, You're going to need uninterrupted time with him. So that's the first part that I want you to see. The first thing I want you to see is that uh, wrestling with God must be personal. Second thing, if you're a note taker, wrestling with God is hard. Wrestling with God is hard. Um, Now, I was never a wrestler in high school, but I did get into some fights, and um, that included some wrestling. And, uh, and I will tell you, if you haven't experienced it, it is the most physically exhausting thing in the world to wrestle with someone. Um, what's happening when you're wrestling with someone? You're, you're pushing and pulling them. You're trying to pull them and move them and maneuver them in ways that they don't want you to move them. And they're doing the same thing to you. They're trying to push you and pull you and move you in ways that you do not want them 
to move you. And so there's resistance in both directions, and it is absolutely exhausting. It takes every ounce of your energy to do it. Uh, Tim Keller has a fantastic sermon uh, on this passage. He points out that wrestling means that you have to have someone contradict you. He says that if you want to have encounters with God, you'd better be open to having God challenge you. In this sermon, he says this, you are not wrestling, you are not in a wrestling match unless God contradicts you. You're not in a wrestling match yet. You're not really encountering personally, the real God, if only you're allowed to contradict him, but he's not allowed to contradict you. Keller says, let me ask you a question. Is it possible that if there was a real God, he might differ from you in a place where you have deep feelings? You have said, I won't believe in things in the Bible that I consider violent or narrow or primitive or not modern. You don't have a personal relationship with him yet. You're not wrestling with him You don't have a living God because you have a God that can't contradict you at all. It's a powerful quote. Wrestling with God is hard. Um, We experience this the first time in the wrestlings of conversion. Um, Think about the story of Nicodemus. If you're familiar with that story in the New Testament, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Jesus is not popular among the Pharisees. But Nicodemus sees something in Jesus that he can't get out of his mind. And so he decides to go and see Jesus and explore this Jesus in the cover of night. And he's going to ask him some questions and hopefully get some answers. And in that conversation in John chapter 3, you see Nicodemus wrestling with Jesus. He just can't wrap his head around what Jesus teaches or with who Jesus is. Jesus tells him that the only way a person can see the kingdom of God is if they're born again. And Nicodemus is like, how can someone be born a second time? And Jesus tells him, well, it's a spiritual birth. I'm summarizing here. It's a spiritual birth. The Holy Spirit does it. And Nicodemus says, well, how can these things be? He's wrestling. And Jesus says, aren't you a rabbi? Aren't you the teacher of Israel? How do you not understand these things? Do you see it? It's it's a wrestling. It's the wrestling of conversion. I believe that Nicodemus became a believer after this. Um, Maybe you had that experience, that intellectual wrestling. Maybe you're in that right now. You're, you're wrestling with these things. You, 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 something has gripped you, and you've come to this point where you recognize that if God is real, this is the only thing that matters. I have to figure this out. Many of you have had that experience. Some of you are in it right now. For me, it wasn't a wrestling with the intellectual side of things like Nicodemus. I believed the Bible intellectually. For me, it was a wrestling with trusting Jesus enough to stop pursuing my sin and to start following him. I struggled to to trust him in that way. I was caught up in alcohol and partying and, and, 
and mostly with the friends that that lifestyle provided for me. And I couldn't let that go. So for me, there was a real wrestling with God before I turned to Jesus and turning away from my sin. I trusted in him. And if that's where you are right now, I just want to encourage you that there's no way you can imagine what's on the other side of that wrestling until you throw up your hands and say, okay, I surrender. So that's the first wrestling. It's the wrestling of conversion. But it doesn't end there uh, because when we put our faith in Jesus, even though, and I, and I wanna say this, even though that drastically changes us when you have an encounter with God, it's not completely finished, the work of changing us. It's not completely done. We're not totally transformed overnight. We have a lifetime of sanctification ahead of God working on us to make us more like Jesus, which means that part of a relationship with having God, a relationship with God is going to mean that he's going to confront you from time to time. And that's what I'm going to call the wrestlings of conviction or challenge or rebuke. This is a major part of the Holy Spirit's job description given by Jesus in John 16, 8, is that the Holy Spirit would come to convict the world. Why does conviction feel like wrestling, though? And the answer is because of the flesh and our idols. Um, The Bible teaches that even though the gospel makes us new creatures when we hear it and believe it, It also teaches that our old nature or our flesh still resides in these bodies. Our flesh, according to the scripture, is hostile to God and cannot please God. That's still in us. And Peter says in 1 Peter 2.11 that it's waging war on our souls. Anybody ever felt that? Again, A.W. Tozer, I think, says this well. The message of the gospel is the message of a new creation in the midst of an old. The message of the invasion of our human nature by the eternal life of God and the displacing of the old by the new. The new life seizes upon the believing man's nature and sets about its conquest until the invading life has taken full possession and a new creation has emerged. I love that picture. That's an incredible picture of God's sanctifying work in our lives. And And it explains why it feels like wrestling. Until the full conquest is accomplished, God's work in our hearts will feel like Wrestling because in our flesh we are stubborn, hard-hearted, and slow to respond. Can I get an amen? Anybody? Making sure I'm not the only one. And it's hard to lay down our idols that have taken up residence in our hearts. I mean, an idol is an idol because we have put it above God, right? And, And treated it as God and loved it as if it were God. And it's tough when he points those things out. to to lay them down. So wrestling is hard, but praise God for the wrestling of conviction. 
God loves us too much to leave us unchanged. He didn't just die to, to forgive us of our sins, but to free us from its enslaving power. So wrestling with God is hard because our flesh is at enmity with him, but it's good and it's necessary. What if you are a believer and you experienced for a season that wrestling of conviction, but it stopped? Well, then it likely means that you've made a truce with your flesh. It likely means that you've decided that you're not going to continue to try and fight your sin, and that's not a good place to be. It could be that somewhere along the way, God brought to light some some thing in your heart, some part of you that needed to change, and you said, ah, I can't do that. That's the thing I can't do, or that's the thing I won't do. And you resisted the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 3 warns us not to do that, tells us to watch out for the hardening of our hearts when the Holy Spirit speaks to us. All right, so wrestling with God is hard, but three... Here's the good news. Wrestling with God will transform you. It will transform you. Let me read verses 26 through uh, 30. So then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. And he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. What we learn here is God's goal for Jacob, and that is a transformation of identity. God is not interested in behavior modification. He is interested in making you a new person entirely. That's what he does for Jacob. His name, Jacob, meant heel grabber or he cheats. And that was who Jacob was. But in one encounter, God changes his name and his entire identity. Jacob, the self-focused, self-righteous schemer, becomes a changed man in this vision of God overnight. On the night that he'd had a vision of God in Bethel, in Genesis 28, he learned who God was, and likely that began Jacob's journey toward God. But this night he met God face to face, and he would never be the same. He realized that even though he'd thought that he'd been fighting with Esau his entire life, he'd really been fighting with God. And you see as this wrestling match unfolds that he slowly comes to this realization of who it is that he's fighting. Um, His first clue is that the man that he's wrestling with is incredibly powerful. He just touches his hip and it's dislocated like that, right? That's the first thing. It's like, whoa, this guy could absolutely crush me and yet he's choosing not to. Um, The next clue seems to be in verse 26, when he says, let me go, when the Lord says to him, let me go for the day has broken. And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. 
That's when it seems that it hits him. I will not let you go unless you bless me. So, so what, what clued him in? It appears that when the Lord says, let me go because the day is broken or the sun is coming up, um, that he's, he's, he's saying, you can't see my face. You can't see who I am, right? Because down in verse 30, Jacob, Jacob reveals that he knows that no one can see the face of God and live, right? So it seems this is when, he, when it dawns on him who this is. And so he asks God right then to bless him. Again, Tim Keller helped me so much to understand what's happening here. He says that he believes at this moment that Jacob realized that his whole life he'd been trying to get the wrong blessings. The blessing of leading the family, the blessing of his father Isaac, the blessing of wealth, the blessing of land. And and Keller says that in this moment, Jacob realized that the blessing he really needed in life was a real face-to-face relationship with God. And you see that in the, in the story. That's what he's asking for here. And that's what he got. What about you? Some of you have been wrestling with God your whole life, but you haven't known it. Some of you have yet to see that it's God and Him alone that you've been craving your whole life, that you've been searching for. And what you need is a personal encounter with Him. You don't need whatever it is that you thought you had to have, the life that you envisioned, the career, the picture of the good life, whatever that is for you, you need a real interactive relationship with the God who made you. Jacob was transformed into a new man with a new identity and a new self-understanding. He had met God face to face and seen that it was God himself that he'd really been searching for. His new name was Israel. And, don't miss this, he finally understood that the blessing couldn't be gained through strength or through cunning, but it came as a gift through weakness and surrender. And that brings me to my final point. Wrestling with God leaves you limping. Verse 31, the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. The question that we ought to ask ourselves in this passage is, why did God do it this way? Including, why did God strike his hip and wound him for the rest of his life? Couldn't he have avoided hurting Jacob like this? Certainly he could have, and yet he doesn't. The reason is because Jacob needed to be weakened, just like we all do, to be able to receive his grace. God uses pain and the difficulty in our lives to make us able to receive his grace. When you first came to see the truth of the gospel, what had to happen before that? You had to see what a sinner you were, didn't you? You you had a revelation of of, of of, of how wicked you were in your heart. The secret thoughts that you had about people, the the judgment that you had toward them, the, the evil, lustful thoughts that you had, or the, the deeds that you committed, or the ways that you had rebelled against God. You had to see it, right? And it wounded you. Um, 
Paul, even after decades of walking with Christ, still looked back on his past life and said, I am the chief of sinners. Those who've done business with God, like Jacob, walk with a limp, but you would never have it any other way. They know that they had to be brought to their knees so that they could receive his mercy and grace. And conversion isn't the only time that we're weakened so that we can receive more of God's grace. This happens at other crucial moments in our lives. When God is about to do a new work in us and through us, we wrestle with God and he weakens us so that his grace can flow into our lives. Think of Peter's denial of Jesus on the night that he was arrested. Jesus told him it was coming. God could have stopped Satan from sifting him like wheat that night, but he didn't. Why? Because Peter needed to be wounded, weakened, so that he could become the leader of the early church, so that God's grace and power could flow into his life. All the greatest men and women of God at some point passed through the fires of affliction so that they might become weak, and through weakness, God's limitless power flows. Moses had to live as a fugitive for 40 years before he was ready to lead God's people. David had to run from Saul for a decade before he could be made king. And God weakened Paul with a thorn in his flesh. When Paul pleaded with the Lord three times that that he would take it away, the Lord said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12.9 Indeed, humility and weakness are the conduits for God's grace and power to flow into our lives. Those who are happiest in the Lord have learned this and do not despise their trials. Jacob walked with a limp for the rest of his life, but he also never again had to wonder if God's blessing was upon him. The limp served as a daily, maybe hourly reminder that he'd met with God face to face and God had blessed him by giving him himself. So let's, let's think about this for ourselves. Have you ever wrestled with God personally? Have you allowed him to confront you on some things? Or do you only challenge him? Do you let him contradict you, push back, challenge you? Did you know what Jesus did for you so that you could have a real and personal relationship with God? Do you know? Like Jacob, Jesus was sent away from his father's house and came to earth as a man. But while he was away, he perfectly obeyed the will of his father in every moment of every day until it was time to go home and receive his inheritance. But on his way back to his father, on the most difficult and stressful night of his life, knowing he was about to face humanity's greatest enemy, death, He wrestled with God in a garden. Jesus won the blessing for us, not through strength and cunning, but through weakness and surrender. He laid down his life for us and allowed the Father to wound him so that grace and mercy could flow to everyone who calls upon him to be saved. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, I know that in a room this size, that not everyone here has a relationship with you. I know that there are some here who um, have known a lot of things about you, but they haven't known you. 
And God, I pray that you would wrestle with them today, even in this moment. God, I know that there are some here who are just beginning to explore who you are, and they're intellectually wrestling with the Bible, and I pray that you would keep after them until they know you face to face. And God, there are still others in the room who have some, at some point in their lives, they've hardened their heart to your conviction, your, your wrestlings of conviction, and, and, and they've, stopped, they've stopped wrestling with you. They've made a truce with their flesh or their sin, and God, I pray you would engage with them again, wrestle with them again, give them a hunger to know you personally again, to have you change them. Lord, I, I thank you that you love us too much to leave us in our sin. And you love us too much to leave us as we are when you, when you forgive us of our sins through Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would make us holy and happy in Jesus until he comes back. We pray it in his name. Amen.